Welcome to Onside, the official podcast from the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Our mission is to protect the health of athletes and the integrity of Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Onside, I'm Tim Gable. Our guest today is Asada's Chief Information Officer, Andrew Collins. Andrew, thanks very much for joining us on Onside. Hi Tim, thank you. Uh, tell us about your role here at Asada. Well, I joined Asada in July 2018 to lead a digital transformation of Asada's business. So what does that mean? Um, Asada traditionally was a paper-based type operation. So records were stored in paper format across the organisation. That provided a lot of challenges to the business to become efficient and to ensure information was where it was needed to make efficient decisions. Um, with our digital transformation, we're putting the systems and processes in place to make sure that information is available where it's needed to make decisions, but also to have the right security controls in place to make sure athletes' information is protected. Uh, just going back to one issue you mentioned there, paperless, how close is Asada to becoming paperless? We're getting so close. Um, it's been a little while coming, but we'll be fully paperless by the middle of next year. Um, there's relatively little paper in the organisation now. There's just a handful of processes remaining and it's a great deal of pride where I can look back and we used to have a giant records room full of athlete information. That's now all gone. It's sitting as secure encrypted digital records um, out in our service providers. Um, I no longer have legal people walking around with giant suitcases full of um, paper records. Um, so we've come a long way and just a bit more to go. So security-wise, it's it, it's far more tight, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, security, especially security around the athletes' records, is an incredible priority for our CEO and executive team. Um, it comes up on a weekly basis uh, at our senior leadership group meetings where we all meet with the CEO and executive team, and security is discussed every single week. Um, it's something we've invested an enormous amount of time and effort into over the last couple of years. Um Mainly because we operate in a global environment, there are a very large number of threats that affect everyone, plus some of the state-sponsored threats that affect ASADA and other anti-doping agencies that have come out in recent weeks. They're very much on our mind, and we've put the IT systems in place to make sure that we are protected and we look after the records we're entrusted with. How do you stop a, a hacking attack? Well, you can never guarantee that you can actually stop an attack. Um, what we do is employ a thing called defence in depth. So we run a large number of security controls which are mandated by the government under what's called the Information Security Manual, which is the government security standards. Um, and we implement just control after control that builds on top of each other that, one, make it very difficult for an attacker to get to our systems. And if they were successful in getting to our systems, it then makes it very difficult for them to get information out or to do anything once they're in there. People think security is quite simple, like a firewall or um, an antivirus program. When we're dealing with enterprise-grade security, which is the type of solutions that a large business or a government agency would run, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of security controls. So a firewall would be one control. Um, strong passwords would be another control. Two-factor authentication is another control. Um, currently, we're running 257 separate security controls across our data sets, and that is increasing. Last month, we uh, added another four controls, and we will add more this month. Do you feel as though you've just got to be ready for the challenge for, for a hacking attack? 
Um, absolutely. We have to be prepared for one if one was successful. It never has been, but we need to be prepared. And that's where partnerships come in. Um, we have strong partnerships with Department of Human Services, Department of Health, Australian Cyber Security Centre and a number of other organisations so that we share information um, along with our corporate partners such as Microsoft. Additionally, we have the security controls where we're looking at what's going on in the world and responding so as recently as a couple of days ago, there was a change, to, a change to our threat environment and it resulted in us making changes to our ICT environment and the way we're treating security and that'll continue while that threat remains. So we're constantly responding. Is that to, through the exchange of information between various organisations? Exactly. Um, at the end of the day, together we're all stronger um, and we're really proud to be part of some of the partnerships which are across just about portfolio agencies. Some of our partnerships are across whole of government. Other partnerships are global, where if you, if a, say, a corporate entity in England was attacked by someone with a zero-day exploit, our systems would automatically protect themselves within a matter of minutes. How quickly is it um, possible to detect possible hacking attack? Do you get the, the, the indication straight away? Um, it varies depending on the type of the attack. Um, if it's simply an attack, um, which the majority of them are, it actually disappears into what we call background noise and it's filtered right at the outer layers of our network. Because we run a number of steps before any traffic can get into our corporate network. So we get rid of the majority of malicious traffic right at the border. Um, Something that was more sophisticated um, for something that was to get into the network, every device on our network actually protects itself and we trigger alerts that way. Um, so we get told about things very, very quickly um, and we have a number of what are called artificial intelligence detection systems running in our environment that look at user behaviour and behaviour on the network and they throw alerts for anything that they think is suspicious and we have to go through and manually check that. Is Asada leading the way? Um, in some areas, yes. Um, certainly the way we approach security is very different to a lot of government agencies. We take more of a commercial approach because we have that freedom to and we have a very progressive CEO. That commercial approach, I think, is one lower cost in terms of security compliance. It also represents, to me, a much lower risk because the traditional model of security is what's called the Jaffa, where... Um, it's crunchy on the outside, so very hard to break through the outside perimeters. But once you get inside, um, a lot of things are vulnerable. We've taken a very different approach where every IT system, every desktop, every router, every bit of storage actually has its own security on it. Every piece of information has its own security. So even if someone was to be inside our network, and we do invite pen testers into our network um, quite regularly, you still have a very hard time extracting anything um, from the environment. Yes, I was just going to ask you, do, do you have these test runs where you invite people to try and hack into Asada? Um, absolutely. Uh, we believe in transparency around what we're doing. Um, we also believe in being tested. So we've engaged commercial penetration testers on multiple occasions to test new systems before we bring them live and also to basically have a go at, at our environment. So some of the recent tests were we engaged one company to throw everything they had at our border environment. So that's from the internet trying to get in. We invited them back again um, later on to come into our network as a user. 
and they actually sat on our network and they hacked as if they were a malicious user or a compromised computer on our network and they tried to gain information that way. We've also been part of the um, Australian Cyber Security Centre's Top 8 Uplift program where um, their team of basically hackers was sitting in here for six or seven weeks um, basically trying to break our systems. Well, it, it must give, uh, I guess, a lot of clarity and comfort to athletes to know that their information is being protected so fiercely by ASADA. Um, I would hope so. I mean, at the end of the day, we're entrusted to hold this information um, and we're very conscious that it is, it is a position of trust. Um, if we were to take the security lightly um, and potentially lose athlete information. We both affect those athletes quite significantly, but we also significantly inhibit our ability to simply do our job. How did you get into this field, Ed? Um, oh, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> um, You're always interested, though, in technology and, and where it might go? That was a very polite way of saying you've always been a nerd, <laughs> and the answer is, is yes. Um, I used to pull apart things, um, VCRs, TVs, um, anything I could get my hand on, uh, hands-on as a kid. Uh, eventually went to university, um, did a double degree in electrical engineering and IT, and I joined Defence Intelligence um, as a special projects research and development engineer doing what's called radio frequency engineering. And on my first day, they said, we've got no one to train you. Congratulations, you're now in IT. Um, and I went, great. <laughs> I then spent six years in Defence Intelligence building out cybersecurity capabilities and a number of software projects before moving into the commercial sector. Um, where I progressed up the ranks fairly quickly to be head of cybersecurity and compliance for Asia Pacific for a company called Cybertrust, which was later bought out by Verizon. Um, then worked in various roles in government and uh, commercial, working my way up eventually to a CIO. We're in good hands. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today, Andrew. Cool. Thank you. Our guest today has been Asada's Chief Information Officer, Andrew Collins. Back with more in just a moment. This is Onside, the official podcast of Asada. Welcome back to Onside. Time now for So I Was Wondering, where we answer questions from the public. And today's question is, can I leave the doping control station before finishing my test if I have to catch a flight or have an appointment? And to answer the question, Asada's Assistant Director, Sport Operations, Steve Northey, and Steve, what is the answer to that question? Yeah, thanks, Tim. A good question. And I think uh, the short answer to that is no. Uh, an athlete must remain um, at the doping control station uh, being supervised by the relevant staff, um, both in and out of competition testing. So it's a question, no doubt, that is asked often by athletes. Listen, I've got to catch a flight straight away. I've been waiting for a couple of hours. But uh, the reality is they can't leave. Yep, look, that's correct, um, and there's probably a, a number of good reasons for that. Um, obviously, uh, a sample collection process is starting from the time of notification to the time an athlete has provided their full requirements for sample collection um, and that that has been sealed uh, and, and ready for dispatching to the laboratory. So at that point, an athlete is uh, is allowed to leave the doping control station. And sports are actually advised, aren't they, not to book flights soon after competition finishes just in case one of their athletes, one of the team members 
has to give a sample. Absolutely. Uh, look, that's part of our engagement strategy that we do um, like to encourage uh, and liaise with sports organisations and teams in particular. Uh, and that's part of our main message is that uh, if they are looking to travel immediately after a particular competition event, uh, that they look to do that uh, at a delayed time to allow sufficient time for an athlete to provide a sample. And unfortunately, the reality of that is uh, we don't really know how long a sample collection session could take. Um, so they need to you know, factor that in and, and buffer in a, a sufficient amount of time for that. So there's a fair bit of negotiation that goes on with the sports themselves because no doubt they're looking for cheap flights because you, know, you want to get everybody on the same flight. You don't want to be paying accommodation fees for an overnight stay. So there is a fair bit of negotiation that goes on behind the scenes between ASADA and the various sports. Yeah, look, and, and again, I think the main message is for them to allow sufficient time for sample collection if that is going to take place. Um, so the main point is that we won't let an athlete leave the doping control station if they've been notified. Uh, so, so they really need to be cognizant of that fact that uh, either stay the night uh, if it is a late game or, or allow sufficient time for, for us to come in and do the work that we need to do and keep the, clean, keep the sport clean. What about a delay, a request for a delay to go to the doping control station? So a medal presentation, media commitments, that is done in negotiation with the doping control officer at the time. Yep, absolutely, and that forms part of an athlete's rights and responsibilities um, that they are entitled to in certain circumstances, um, fulfil certain obligations as part of being an athlete and as part of um, competing in sport. Uh, and as you said, some of those obligations could be uh, attending a medal ceremony, um, completing a warm down, um, receiving medical attention and so forth. Um, and it's important to note that the athlete needs to communicate to either the chaperone or the DCO that that's what they would like to do uh, and then it's at the discretion of, of the DCO to then approve that. Um, and the main points there are that uh, essentially the athlete needs to be observed at all times um, if the situation that they're looking to, to do doesn't allow that, um, there may be circumstances where the DCO prevents them from undertaking that activity. Um, and it's all with a view to, to maintain the integrity of that sample collection process. And if it doesn't happen, say an athlete gets permission to go and do a warm down or medal presentation and they don't return, it could result in an anti-doping rule violation. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, that is a, a particular point because... Uh, failing to submit to a sample collection process or, or following the instructions of, of a DCO uh, in not returning um, certainly could warrant a potential anti-doping rule violation. Steve, you've been doing this job for a fair while now. Uh, what is the relationship like between ASADA and the various athletes that you have to test? I'd imagine sometimes the athletes would be getting pretty frustrated if it if it's taking a while. Yeah, look... Um, Athletes can, from time to time, get frustrated, particularly after a competition. Um, they may have just come off the field or, or competed and, and not performed to their satisfaction or um, other things that uh, they may have commitments with. Uh, and we're probably the last people that they want to see at the end of a competition. Um, but hopefully the education and engagement that we are doing with athletes uh, and with sports uh, is increasing their awareness and their obligations as part of being an athlete and their commitment um, and keeping sport clean is adhering to what we request to. And the doping control officers uh, almost have to act like, act like therapists, do they, to, uh, to keep everything calm and make sure that everything yeah, remains look, on an even keel? Absolutely. Uh, there are certain negotiation um, 
points that they need to, to do with the athlete. So, uh, yeah, th- they need to assess the situation and if, if things aren't working properly with the athlete, uh, they may go to an athlete representative or a team manager to, to help facilitate the situation if it is getting uh, a little bit inflamed. But, look, for the most part, um, I think nowadays with the, with the profile of, of, of anti-doping and ASADA, um, I think there's a really good understanding of athletes and, and the role that we play. Um, and, look, for the most part, um, all the athletes are, are willing and complying with, with everything that we ask them to do. How long have you been involved in ASADA? Um, look, for quite some time. Originally I came on board uh, as a chaperone in 96, just as a casual, which uh, which personally for me uh, fitted in with while I was uh, studying at uni uh, and then came on board um, to ASADA in 2002, so I've been here full-time ever since. Have you noticed a change? Is it sort of changed focus? Absolutely. Um, look, I think the, the way that we carry – when I first came on board, I'll, I'll go back to that in – uh, it wasn't a an Intel-led testing program. It, it primarily was random-based, um, and I think that was the common practice around the world. Uh, and the main thing that I've seen change over time is the intricate nature that we go about selecting athletes or targeting athletes and, and using intelligence, other bodies, enforcement, um, so on and so forth that, that help us uh, provide the best anti-doping program that we can uh, and obviously be a world leader in that space as well. And more engagement with sports and education is, is really lifted as well. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think what we're doing more recently with education and uh, our social media and, and things such as this, what I'm participating in now, really kind of increases the awareness um, to sports and athletes and, and let them know that we are playing an important role and we're willing to work with them uh, in achieving that. Good on you, Steve. Thanks very much for joining us on Onside today. Pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Uh, that is Steve Northey, ASADA's Assistant Director, Sport Operations. More with Onside in just a moment. Time now for a fast fact. More than 23,000 sports people have downloaded the ASADA Clean Sport app. The app can also be used to report doping, check if a medication is banned in sport, give ASADA feedback on testing missions, and complete online education modules. You can download now at www.asada.gov.au forward slash tech. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to executiveoffice at asada.gov.au. For more information about clean, fair sport, visit our website, asada.gov.au or check out our clean sport app.